Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. The second hour is here. Glad you're with us for Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. John McClain coming up in about 20 minutes. Kurt Schilling in a little over an hour. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Ehop here in Old Smoky Moonshine. Get into Deion Sanders talking NIL. Mike Gundy is not going to negotiate uh, name, image, likeness contracts and, and UCLA. Well, there's something that happens whenever you uh, join the Big Ten. The travel, the travel numbers are well, going to be. Football is the smallest part of it. You know, I mean, that's yeah. the crazy thing about joining that count. Think about the the volleyball team. Yeah, think about having twenty Seattle Seahawks franchises that yeah. you have to travel across country. Baseball season looks a lot different yeah. now for <laughs> your UCLA Numbers there. Bruins. Numbers there. Let's start though, uh, Chad, with uh, Georgia football and the, the culture problem by the numbers. We have uh, detailed the traffic incidents, and certainly the ones that that took the life of a of a staff member and a player uh, back in January. Um, it's much more than that. It, it, we even went with, you know, arrested or graduated. And many of those are traffic-related Which, incidents. by the way, was a very difficult game to play. Yes, it was. We did not fare as well as I thought. Now, graduated or arrested Georgia football edition. So the Atlanta Journal-Constitution has done a deep dive on the University of Georgia's football team and the speeding issues that they have. The numbers are alarming. Under head coach Kirby Smart, dozens of players have been cited for excessive speeding, reckless driving, um, a lot of it's racing, or just other traffic offenses. I do want to preface this by saying I don't think this is the only football program that would have this issue if you had media dive into details. I also don't think there are many uh, programs in a town like Athens where it just across the state of Georgia, and we've pointed this out, they have, they have made it a, a big effort. It, it, is, it is something that they are trying to crack down on, racing, street racing. And so they are citing left and right traffic violations. And I don't know if that's happening you know, in other just big-time college football cities, towns. With all that being said, I would have never guessed it was 300. 300. 300 known traffic offenses, including multiple high-speed accidents, multiple DUIs. You have one game missed by uh, the offender in this. 82 separate legal matters in, in this reporting. Chad, uh, four, four different violations of speeding for over 100 miles per hour. And one of those took place in a 35-mile-per-hour uh, 35 uh, zone. And, you know, my guess is that would be racing. But this is more than just a trend. This is, this is troubling. And uh, while I don't think it's just at Georgia, what we do have is the, the media deep dive that we're not getting and we really haven't seen. Um, because it, in, in these 
I'll go back to, we used Jameis Winston for the longest time. About in Tallahassee, were they really looking for Jameis Winston? No, none of these small towns are now. And again, this didn't come from the Athens paper. That's right. I know. Came from the Atlanta Journal Constitution. But a lot of the violations are taking place in Athens. Yeah, and that's my point. Like the no, the, again, I'm making the point for you. The, the local people aren't going to do this. This was not the yeah. Georgia football beat writer uncovering this. Why? Because these programs, especially in the South, they run the city. And you're not going to get any access, and no one's going to like you if you're the one to break bad news about the two-time defending national champion Georgia Bulldogs football program. That we all know they have a culture problem. We could see it, and it led to deaths. Mm-hmm. But this is just the evidence of it, and it is a culture issue off the field with Georgia football. Now, Hutton, you know this, I know this. No one cares. No one cares at Georgia. Why? They won two straight national championships. You know when they're going to care? Lose a couple games this year. Have a fall off without Stetson Bennett. And then people will start saying, it'll start from the outside, and then if you lose enough, it'll begin to crack on the inside where people are going to say, aha, now remember all those off-field issues and all the racing and everything else going on? Kirby Smart maybe doesn't have a handle on his program, but not going to happen until they lose. And I'm looking up and down their roster right now and their schedule next year. They're not losing anytime soon. Not to any great extent. Well, and, and, the, and the, the question is, what is Kirby Smart doing behind the scenes whenever these, these issues take place? Apparently he's got a handler that's handling all the legal matters. But, you know, it, how exactly he punishes them is unclear, right? Yeah, that's, to me, that's the handling, key part of the report. Handling the, handling the legal matters is one thing. Handling the punishment, regard, like, handling things internally, that's okay. But... You know, the report mentions, like, in one case, in 2019, he ordered six players who had been arrested over the previous six weeks to run steps at Sanford Stadium in front of a select audience of donors that were there on a, for an event for the uh, Georgia Athletic Department. Like, that, that's, that's just not enough. Maybe there's more. Maybe there's more than that. But that was part of it. I mean, that's the perception. But, he, you know, in... in on the college football world, especially on the large scale, the disciplinary matters, they can just point to the university and say they're handling it and we're not going to reveal any disciplinary action that's being taken. I, I think in this case, um, it's, it's reckless to just ignore it. And now everyone's got at least, maybe, maybe it's not a magnifying glass, but at least the attention is turned to the program instead of relatively just going in it incident by incident. At some point, everything piles up, and it more, it's more than just a court fine that, that, that needs to be addressed. Yeah, and what's the guy's name again? Gant? The, the, that's the, the, to me, that's the, the key takeaway from the whole thing. I think 82 or over 80 legal matters it, yes. handled by Gant, who's the the player, described as the player babysitter. I mean, I'm doing some further digging on that. If I'm another news I, outlet or if I'm AJC... Yeah. I'm getting some more information on that because that's the one that could be very, very bad for Georgia football and, and Kirby Smart. The other things, while bad, I mean, over 300 traffic violations, that's handled by the, the court system if you're getting a speeding ticket or whatever. But vague, vaguely 82 legal matters handled by one guy who's described as the program's babysitter, I'd do some more digging on that one. You know, they're going back to 2015 as part of the AJC investigation where you've got the excessive speeding, you've got street racing, but beyond that, uh, players illegally bringing weapons on campus, 
uh, bar fights, uh, domestic violence and, and sexual assault. I mean, there, there are a litany of things, even back to 2015. And they go back then because that's whenever Kirby Smart took over as head coach. Uh, that's not to say that th this is only taking place at Georgia. Um, it, it's taking place uh, across college campuses for sure. But uh, th this is more than just one or two street racing incidents. And, and by the way, I mean, it, it, the magnifying glass is on the one street racing incident that claimed the life of two, uh, two people, including a Georgia staffer who was behind the wheel and uh, a teammate, um, a, a Georgia player of Jalen Carter's, teammate of Carter's. So, um, yeah, it, it, I do think it it's more impactful because you have that story that everyone is aware of, and then you have the investigation from the Atlantic Journal-Constitution that's digging in on this. There are times where you can come back and say, oh, this happens everywhere. This is just a college sports thing. This is something that happens everywhere you go with big-time college sports. This is not one of those stories. This is not happening everywhere. Is it happening to a smaller degree almost everywhere? Sure. I'm sure there are plenty of college football players at major programs that get traffic violations. Is every program having over 300 with 82 of them handled by an in-house babysitter slash legal handler? Are, are people dying on the streets because of racing cars at other programs? No. And this is something that it's time for Kirby Smart to put his a lot of money, by the way, all of his money that he's been making from all the winning, put his money where his mouth is and do something about it. Because the fans are going to cut you slack as long as you continue winning, but it may not stop the media reports of what's going on, and hopefully it stops people breaking the law and death from occurring also within the program. So this is a troubling story. This is not just – I mean, it's something that can be fixed by Kirby Smart, and ultimately – People are going to care about the wins and losses with this program. Those Georgia Bulldogs fans will. But I'm not just looking at this and thinking, oh, it happens everywhere. This is just college sports. Boys will be boys. Nothing to see here. This is not one of those stories. No. This is – that's a crazy amount of numbers we're talking about with these traffic issues. So it's something they need to clean up. And it's right in their backyard. It's not like they're going home to Florida. You know, yeah. I just use Florida as an example because that's where uh, Alabama had the recruit, right? that was coming in that was arrested uh, for driving 140 plus miles per hour with, you know, weed and a, 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 I believe a loaded weapon. Turns out it was the passenger's weapon, or at least he copped to the, the weapon that was his, not the recruit. But yeah, I mean, it, this is happening right there in Athens. When we were there, I didn't, didn't really think there was a lot of, uh, <laughs> I didn't hear a lot of racing going on. No, we didn't. We were downtown. Yeah, we didn't see Vin Diesel or anything. A lot of construction, though. It would be tough to drive through No that. one was hopping ramps, you know, or doing yeah. any Fast and Furious stuff while we were there. <laughs> Those happened on the side streets. We were just in the downtown sector of Athens, so we didn't see all the racing take place. Deion Sanders is uh, taking over all things Colorado football. He's going to be taking over uh, your, your TV screen uh, this fall, especially for the two, two weeks uh, to kick off the season on national TV on Fox against TCU in Nebraska. Um, he's also steering a narrative on, he's not anti-name image likeness, he's anti-collectives from uh, across the college football landscape. He says, NIL, not a problem. Collectives are. He's telling this to, to Joel Klatt. Let's talk about NIL, name image likeness. What kid out of high school that is notable enough that a CEO or a major company is going to lay it on the line for that kid that ain't nobody know? So it's not 
name, image, likeness. He's pointing to collectives. You could be, you know, Tom, Dick, or Harry, or Larry, and just put a bag together, boosters or whatever, whoever does it, and try to solicit these kids to come to your university. He says, who is that helping? Then Prime gets into, I want, I want my guys to earn the Lamar Jackson bag, not the NIL collective bag. He's pointing to the NFL money that he, he is saying that he will develop you into. That's also what he was doing at Jackson State, too, when he's recruiting at a high level there for the, the level of program that they were recruiting at, at the HBCU, and uh, recruiting against and pulling in big names. He's in the, he's in the living room along with uh, a, a family member and a player that had just hosted Nick Saban the night prior. He's the head coach at Jackson State. So I believe him when he can, he can you know, send this message and land recruits. What we will see, Chad, is can he recruit away from the universities that have these big-time collectives? Because that's my, with the transfer portal, is he going to stir the pot by getting guys to, to jump and go to Colorado based on this messaging? Or are guys going to stay where they are and not join him because they're making more money where they are? And they have the, they have the national significance and the, the pedestal at the Alabama, Georgia, and you know Clemson level. And... Will we see that uh, take place at Colorado? Apparently not when it comes to the collective. There are plenty of good players to go around. So Deion Sanders, he's going to get his, just like Ohio State's going to get theirs and Texas is going to get theirs and USC is going to get theirs and on down the list. But if you don't have a full arsenal at your backing when you're going into recruiting, there are guys you're going to lose. I mean, we can talk about mindset and everything else and – there's going to be that talented player that you really want, that that guy, he's into some other really good programs, a lot of tradition, and he really likes the coaching staff at multiple places. And maybe the deciding factor for him is going to be a highly organized collective that can tell him up front, this, these are the deals we've done for past players and recruits of your ilk, and here is what we can guarantee for you. Here's what can happen. I'm not saying that's right or wrong or that's the meaning of collectives or NIL. It's not. It's not the intention of it. But if you want to get and be in the living room with every player that you want to possibly bring into your program, you got to be okay with losing out on some of those guys if you're going to badmouth collectives and talk about not wanting them around or not utilizing them because some of the best programs in the country that are getting some of the best players, they have highly organized collectives. Now, what you don't want is what I like to call Aggie disease in their recruiting class. They sold too much NIL. They sold too much from a collective. They sold too much from a guaranteed money perspective. And what they ended up getting were a bunch of dogs that didn't really want to be there, that wanted the check, and they didn't recruit to the culture that they wanted. you got to have a balance. What I, if I'm a coach hunting at one of these programs – all I ask, I don't want to be heavily involved in collectives or NIL. I don't want to be involved in those negotiations Same. at all no. if I'm a college coach. I want to make sure, though, but you're involved. that I'm not losing out on everyone because it's coming down to me and one other guy, and they really like our culture and our family atmosphere and our practice setup and our win-loss record from the previous year, and our coaches are recruiting the hell out of them, and they like them, but I keep hearing – Coach, I got to go over here because I've got 85K guaranteed freshman year 
that's going to balloon to 400k a year by the time I'm a senior. Yeah. And that's what they're telling me. If you hear that enough, all college coaches don't want to be involved in that. But guess what they do want? They want the ability to offer that too through someone else if that's why they're losing out on players. But you, you and that's where we be... keep going back in a, a carousel about let's get some legislation on it and make it fair right. all the way around. That's right. what they ultimately want. Yes. Uh, and uh, Coach and, and Senator, we call him Coach because he said we could. Uh, coach uh, Tommy Tuberville will be on the show with us Thursday to discuss legislation uh, and what took place on Capitol Hill last week. But Chad, even if you're a coach who doesn't want to be involved, it, it, it's at the top level. If you don't want to be involved in the NIL negotiations, Mike Gundy's saying the same thing. He's saying, hey, I, I don't want to be involved in this. I don't, I don't care what uh, feedback I'm getting. Um, I don't want to deal with a line outside my office with people coming in here to negotiate money. I, I can't do that. I won't do that. And he goes, it's just not going to happen at Oklahoma State. Okay. But you have to be involved if you're the coach at some level in the negotiation because if it's an even negotiation monetarily, why is one player going to choose one program over the other? It comes down to either the coach and the, the line to the National Football League or it comes down to immediate playing time, and especially at quarterback. But it's going to happen at other positions, too, for taking the money. So you, the coach has to be involved in that negotiation if the player is going to come in. Take the money. I don't want to know. Hey, just come in here and play. Well, and the, you're going to lose him immediately to the portal if, you, if, you, if you're not involved in it and you don't want to play him immediately because – you're going to have to deal with the boosters and the collectives anyway because those are the people now that are going to be at least at, at a handful of programs. It's not a rampant across college football. They will be saying, hey, we got to play this guy because if not, or, or so-and-so paid big money to allow him to be here on campus with us, we got to put him in the game. You know, that, yeah. that speeds up the process for the coach. So Allie in the YouTube chat says, it's silly to think you can't criticize the structure of college sports without losing the type of recruits you want. None of this is 100% universal across the board. Deion Sanders can say what he wants, and he might not lose out on the type of recruit he wants. I'm simply stating that there are going to be some top-level recruits that have a lot of options, and some of those options may include money. And if they can get everything they want at a program and extra money, they're probably going to take the option with the extra money. So you may lose out on them. Hey, good for Mike Gundy for standing on his principles on this. I'm, I'm all for it. Just understand that when you do that, you're going to be recruiting from a pool of players that aren't getting offered money anywhere. And that's typically a less sought-after caliber of recruit. And if you're okay with that, and that's the only type of player you want in your program, and you can out-coach them, and you can coach them up, and you can compete for titles with those guys, by all means, go and do it. Mike Gundy's not a guy who's ever recruited top 10 nationally consistently either way. So he's not in the game with a lot of these high-priced NIL players. Well, but so, well, hang on, though. T. Boone Pickens is also dead. And yeah. he was the de facto, de facto owner of Oklahoma State Athletics. Right. And I, I, would he be singing a different tune if T. Boone Pickens were alive? I, I don't know only because I, I don't it, – it's not like Oklahoma State is a recruiting juggernaut. But you don't have to be. You, you can now you can just pay money. Well, like, I know, it, no, I'm saying they they've never done that. Like they've even at their height, if you feel if you're so principled that you're like I'm not going to deal with the collective, I'm not going to offer money. 
great. Then try to win at the same level. You're, I think some of these coaches are saying, I hate the, the top level of the sport that's doing this, and I don't have the resources for it. So that's the I can go get the guys that aren't going to be relying on money and still be good. And it goes back to my initial point. Of, there's plenty of good players to go around. You're just going to lose out on some of the top ones. Just understand that when you go in with this stance. And also through the portal. And if you're okay well. with it, great. Well, how about uh, – so just the other end of the, of the discussion here is Trent Dilfer. Dion is saying, hey, I'm worried about the NFL bag, not the collective bag. Trent Dilfer, now the new head coach at UAB – is telling on three, hey, what? We're, we're not competing against people in our conference in the transfer portal. We're competing against schools that are coming in that can offer $400,000. Should I, as the head coach at UAB, even try to offer fifty dollars to begin with if the player's good enough to make four hundred? And then here's the quote. Why do you even try to retain that player? If you develop a player and he's good enough to make that type of money at a program that would be perceived up from us, economically for sure, well, as a player-centric coach, isn't it my job to encourage him to take that money if it doesn't hurt his chances of making generational wealth at the next level? And therein lies the kicker. So he's playing the, hey, if I'm a player's coach and I'm looking out for what's best and he's really good and he's going to the next level and he's a sophomore entering the portal and a year from now, he could get hurt here, he could get hurt in Athens. But a year from now, he's going to enter the NFL draft early and he's going to make a boatload of money. Who am I to say that he shouldn't take four hundred grand now and go to Georgia if he's going to the NFL a year from now anyway? That's a completely different take and spin, and it's refreshing to hear from an, a college coach saying that, specifically at a program that he's taking over that's a 500 deal. He, he's going to lose players as he develops them. Note to self and show, we need to get Trent Dilfer on yeah, the I'll show. Text him right uh, now. A buddy of ours uh, that we're, we're close with. Uh, that's a good one to talk about, this whole deal, because he will talk openly about all of it. Then um, I love that stance from him also, and I love the honesty. Hutton, going back to the Oklahoma State deal, um, top five programs right now in recruiting for 2024 class. Okay. This is according to On3. Georgia's one, Ohio State two, Alabama three, Clemson four, Michigan five. Let's all go under the assumption all of those programs are doing okay mm -hmm. from an NIL perspective yep. and what they can offer players, yep. okay? Oh, uh, Oklahoma State with Mike Gundy's principled stance of, I don't want to deal with the collective. Great. I, I'm, I'm cool with that, him saying that. They're 48th in recruiting. They're behind Kentucky and Illinois, one spot ahead of Iowa State and Indiana in the recruiting rankings. But this is sort of a typical Gundy class. I don't know that it's going to affect him that much because I don't know that they were ever fully in the paying players game. T-Bone Pickens did a lot for the program from a facility standpoint and from retaining coaches uh, like Mike Gundy who would recruit or would, uh, would flirt with a lot of open jobs yes. to get a raise at Oklahoma State. T-Bone Pickens had a lot to do with paying coaches and facilities. I don't know that they've ever been big in the well, paying player game. I, I'm only bringing his name up because they could be if T-Boom Pickens wanted it to happen, right? And then all of a sudden, Gundy would be all about a collective if it was the Pickens yeah, collective. Yeah, but I, I think it also just comes back to sort of you know plausible deniability. Like, oh, whatever. Well, it's not offered. You're I'm right. not going to tell T-Boom Pickens to not uh, do what he wants to do, but he can do whatever he wants. And hey, if we happen to get a five-star quarterback because of it, so be it. John McClain is waiting in the wings. We can't wait to chat with him about the NFL news today. Stephon Diggs, is he there in, in Buffalo for the mandatory minicamp? Is he not? His agent's saying one thing. 
Meanwhile, Josh Allen and Sean McDermott are saying he's not. Uh, it's confusing. Plus, running backs right now, talking a big game. And I guess they're in an echo chamber. We'll get John's take on why it's not going to work. That's next on Hot Mike. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Eha Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us for Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. Please be joined by John McClain, who joins us weekly. He's covered the league for nearly five decades, and he's seen his fair share of great players uh, through the college ranks that, I mean, Chad, let's face it, they were probably getting paid. We just didn't have a collective name behind it, right? John, you, you, uh, well, I want to get into the NFL headlines in a brief moment. You, you heard um, our discussion towards the end of the last segment on Dion and then what Dilfer was saying at UAB about, hey, who am I to stop a guy? He's going to make general, generational wealth at the next level, and this isn't going to hurt him from doing that, this being moving up in the ranks in college football. Why should I try to even stop him? What do you think about Dilfer's comments at UAB? I thought Trent's a realist. And boy, that's if I if I was a player and uh, UAB was a chance to go there and play for him, I'd want to do it because of his NFL experience, but also for common sense about the way college sports is operating today. And it's not just UAB that would be a farm system for these other schools. These big state schools, especially the ones that perennially do well and recruit, they're going to get more money from their alumni. USC is another one. You know, USC, no, I can't remember what they paid uh, uh, Caleb Williams to go out there uh, with Lincoln Riley. And um, so it's, it's Baylor, where I went to school, Baylor loses guys. Baylor's lost players, good players for NIL money uh, at bigger schools. And so it's it's uh, a racket. You know, it's not supposed to be able to offer NIL money recruiting. They do it. They cheat just like they cheated for decades. And now they've made it uh, made it legal. And I feel sorry for the schools that are not among those perennial national championship contenders. You know, how many do we realistically think have a chance to win a national championship this season? It's probably going to be a yep. handful. And I bet all of them have spent a lot of NIO money 
luring prospects from other programs. Chad, he mentioned Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams is reportedly making around $2.5 million at USC, and that that in part is through Fanatics. He's got a deal with Fanatics that was facilitated, and now a deal with Neutrogena. Nice. That puts him on three, saying a value of around 2.6. John, one other quick college football question for you. When you got talking about that, it made me think about it. Um, the SEC tomorrow is going to announce their 2024 schedule that will include Texas and Oklahoma and their eight-game schedule. But the SEC is requiring a ninth game that is against a Power 5 opponent, not from the SEC. Do you think that the Big 12, even after being spurned by Texas and Oklahoma, will be quick to try to get back in the game of playing one of those two schools at some point in a non-conference setting? Or is the bad blood going to be so bad that they decide they can't play them? Well, since they've beaten up Texas for years now, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. And But Oklahoma, who was great to Lincoln Riley, left. So if I were UT and, and uh, Oklahoma, I'd be afraid about scheduling games against the former conference because they'd be extra fired up. And so they'd be smarter to go in another direction. I think it's kind of like getting back with your ex-wife. You have no, You have no use in doing that when she's left you for a wealthier guy and a better looking guy like the SEC would be. And the Big 12 is going to get along fine with their TV deal and they don't need the Longhorns and they don't need Oklahoma. I miss Texas leaving. By the way, that loss the Longhorns had Stanford oh, last night. Wow. I felt I'm a Baylor fan. You guys know how I feel about Texas. I felt sorry for the Longhorns. The Aggies felt sorry for the Longhorns because it was it was unprecedented for anything I've ever seen. But I don't think you're going to see that Chad Lack. And I don't really think that Texas especially wants to take a chance on getting beat by Baylor, TCU, Houston, one of those teams that they used to play a lot. Yeah, for those that didn't see, Stanford won against Texas on a walk-off. But what it was, two outs facilitated this. Two outs, everyone's running on contact, pop-up, middle, uh, what, right center field, gets lost in the lights. No one can find it, and the ball falls uh, on the on the grass, and tough. And Stanford wins. Uh, John, let's head to Orchard Park, where Sean McDermott is saying that Stephon Diggs is not there, and it's very troubling. Josh Allen is saying it has it, – something that he hopes is going to be uh, worked out soon. Meanwhile, the agent is saying not only is, is Diggs at mandatory minicamp, that he's he's met with the coach and the general manager. Why the confusion on both sides here? And if it's a, if it's a sit-in like we saw with Jeffrey Simmons last year or others this year, why not just say that instead of allowing the back and forth all morning? He just signed a new contract last year for $99 million. I can't imagine why he would be throwing a hissy fit to try to get a new one. And uh, they said he went had a physical, but there's a lot of confusion here. And uh, it's all about what the head coach and the general manager think. And uh, the agent said he came in for a physical, so there's something up. And when there's something up, it's usually about money or possible rehabilitation. You know, I don't know if he had an operation that people don't know about but it's strange very strange something to keep an eye on for sure um speaking of uh, of digs where let's and and just the wide receiver money that we're seeing okay and he's at a different stratosphere but we did see odell beckham jr who's now in a baltimore ravens uniform saw the photo of him taking the field today he's making 15 million 
in this first season with Baltimore. DeAndre Hopkins is making free agent visits currently. He's uh, reportedly, he, he was here in Nashville. He's on his way to what, New England. And he's reportedly briefly going to swing by and, and talk with Green Bay. You know and, and have covered DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, money always talks. Let's say that first. What else does DeAndre Hopkins want? What's he looking for, John? Well, we know he's not looking for a Super Bowl contender based on the teams that we've seen him show interest in. Before he was cut, he was talking about Super Bowl contenders with great quarterbacks, and the teams that he's shown interest in have are neither, none of that. Maybe it's and maybe now, it's the teams that are showing interest in him, though. I think that's also part of it. Well, it could be, and uh, they also got money. Now, right, I'll right. say this: he should want the familiarity of Mike Vrabel and Tim Kelly. They know him very well. They were with him for four seasons, Kelly longer than that. So they know he doesn't like to practice, but he plays in games. You know, he hadn't been great for two years, but there's been a reason. And uh, when he when he was when he came off his suspension last year, before Kyler Murray uh, was hurt, he led the NFL in receptions during that brief period. And he'd never been about speed. His game's always about strength and great catches and fighting for the ball, route running, getting off the line of scrimmage. So if he's lost a step, so what? He never had a step like all those Blazers do. So I think he's going to go where he gets the best deal financially. Maybe New England overpays for him. I thought there's no way he and Bill O'Brien would be reunited, knowing how bad the blood was here. A lot of it never came out. But that would show time and money heal a lot of wounds if he ends up with the Patriots. But Bill Belichick, he likes his guys to practice. I'd love to see how that one goes. To me, if you put him in a Titans uniform and Burks ought to make big improvement between his first and second season, Hop would help Burks so much. And I know from a, and I'm a big fan of Hopkins, knowing well, I'd love to see him play twice a year against the Texans and the Texans, of course want him anywhere but the AFC South. John, do you think Dalvin Cook is going to get the close to $10 million that he wants from an NFL team as a free agent? And what spot makes the most sense for him? Well, Miami makes the most sense because he's from there. He played Florida State. He's he had a really good year. And the guy's taking his place, Madison, I think it's Richard Madison. That guy's under a lot of pressure to produce. But you got to figure the Vikings know what they're doing. And so Cook, he, you know, Cook may want a multi-year deal. And he's not going to get a multi-year deal being a running back. So I, if he wants to go for a team that's the best team, he would go to Miami. Denver's not interested. I just I could see Hopkins getting paid before he does the kind of money he wants. Hop supposedly wants 10 million a year. I could see him getting it, even though he's older, because uh running backs get beaten up. But man, for one year. Maybe two. I'd love to have him on my team. How about the the running back discussion right now that's taking place with Joshua Jacobs uh, and, and elsewhere, where you know Cooks wanting uh, top money. Saquon Barkley is is throwing out Le'Veon Bell's name as a possible. Hey, I could sit out the season. These guys can't do that, can they? I mean, and let's just let's just say and let's treat this like Dilford, and they need someone to just say this. Saying this in minicamp and saying this in training camp is totally different. And missing the game checks for at a position, John, where longevity is not known for being one of the qualities of playing running back. 
don't you, especially on the tag, you take the 10 million guaranteed and sign on the dotted line by the deadline, which is what, July 17th? And, and you, you take the 10 million in the bank. You don't sit out that year. All that big talk doesn't mean squat. Le'Veon Bell admitted recently made a big mistake. Came back, he was not the same. Now he's what, trying to be a boxer or MMA or something. You know, he was a great two way back. He uh, didn't get what he wanted. He sat out his season. It's hard to get that back. Trent Williams did a great job after sitting out, but it's easier for a tackle than it is a running back. And I think he, that he made, he knows he made a big mistake. And uh, that's not going to happen to these guys. They'll sign, they'll be there. You know, it doesn't matter if they don't like that money. So what? Come back, be great. Force them to tell you again. Yeah. And I do wonder, like, what happens to the position moving forward because of the money. And I don't, I don't think they're ever going to climb out of where it's viewed right now monetarily based on the talent that's there at a much cheaper rate, uh, even for the first-round picks. But, you know, for years the debate was about, you know, the offensive tackle tag was the same as just an offensive lineman tag, right? Uh, but the, the different positions that were valued more. Are you a defensive end or a defensive tackle? Are you a wide receiver or a tight end based on how the team uses you? The running back position, and I understand their overall point. I'm just saying I don't think they win the argument based on the way the CBA reads and the tags that can be applied after the rookie deal. John, I, they're right in saying the tag keeps the overall number down on the percentage for them to use it again. They're not going to overpay, and it's never going to go up. I, I agree with what Josh Jacobs is saying. I just don't think in principle he nor Saquon Barkley can sit out a year and actually think it's going to have that great of effect on the team. Of course, you're not going to set out a year. It's a moot point. If you're like B. John Robinson, you get drafted first round by Atlanta. They're a guarantee of having you for six years if they want you, four years, and you do the franchise tag two if you don't reach an agreement, a long-term deal. Problem is, if you get a long-term deal, you know, you don't, they're not going to give it to you because they don't last that long. Having backs that in the past that have played very well, carried a heavy load, but the way the game is today, you play 17 games, you get hit a whole lot by bigger, faster players. And um, so I think if you're – it's all, all the best backs. Now, there's some that are different. Mm -hmm. But most of the time, your first and second round picks are your best backs. And there's a difference. You know, second round picks, you got to redo their contract after three years. And you do the uh, first round picks after four. But if you get six years after first round pick like B. John Robinson – and he stays healthy, you should be happy with that. I mean, they're going to have a coaching change in there. They'll have a general manager's change in there. But the, So the back will generally outlast the coach and the general manager. But uh, you can't get one and think you're going to keep them for 10 years, and they got to be realistic with their agent. Yeah, and, and here's the other thing. Here's why it's not going to change, Chad. The, the CBA and this new – the players, when they're negotiating with the owners – they don't care about what the agents want, and they don't care about the rookies. They don't care about the guys in college that are coming in. They want the veterans to get the money. That's how the new CBA was structured, and so everything's slotted. So it's not like you can be a first-round pick in the NFL at running back and negotiate a better deal. You just have to take what's slotted your way, and then the yep. team's in control of you for up to seven years if you're a first-round pick, which is not going to change anytime soon, which is why if you're a great, phenomenal player, you take that guy, I think, in the first round because you own the contract that's relatively inexpensive for seven years, not them four. At the end of it. Yeah, then you rinse and repeat, right?
That's how somebody should go back and look at the greatest backs in history, the Hall of Famers, and see after their fourth year, you know, if they back then they'd gotten tagged two years or three years and see how it would have worked out with them when the philosophy of running backs was different, when everybody had to have a great one and they basically were runners, they were not receivers. And when you had one who could catch, you're like, wow, this guy can catch. That's even better. But by and large, they were going to be runners. And I think it'd be very interesting to see how many of them say six or seven years in, we're still great. John, final thing for you, this billion-dollar innovation that's being discussed in Jacksonville, they're, going to, they're trying to play in Daytona. Is, is this the negotiation that ultimately will determine if Jacksonville's in London or Jacksonville? They're not going to build a new stadium there without a guarantee that from the NFL, I mean, everybody's, the NFL is going to want to guarantee they're not moving. You know, they uh, they go every year. They're London's team. Now they're putting games in Germany, which is just as big a fan base as England is. But I think if they get this stadium, he's going to have to sign an ironclad lease. That means he would not be moving. And they would expand, but the problem is there are not enough good quarterbacks to go around. And when it comes to quarterback play, it'd be more like the USFL or the XFL, and they don't want that. There's just not enough right now because colleges are not producing them or they're not or they're not doing a good job of developing them, which includes coaching. But uh, I'll, I'll believe the Jaguars doing that when I see it because you know the NFL at some point is going to Europe because there's too much money to be made. Whatever they sell a ticket for in Jacksonville, they sell in Wembley Stadium, 85,000 tickets, Hotspur Stadium, Tottingham. They can sell close to 80,000, and they can charge a whole lot more money. John McClain, NFL columnist, Sports Radio 610 as well, and Pro Football Hall of Famer and a Pro Football Hall of Fame selector. John, thank you as always. We'll catch up soon. Well, you're going to catch up with me live and in your studio next week. I'm oh, looking forward right. to seeing that's you guys. Right. Can't wait, John. Looking yeah, forward to it. Heading to the weekend. I look forward to it. Thanks, guys. Yeah, John, thank Thanks, you. John. John McClain there. Chad, coming up, Charles Barkley starting a new show with CNN. And they're off to a great start. Well, I mean, the, his comments on what to expect from the show is exactly why I love Charles Barkley. That's next on Hot Mike. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Charles Barkley, while he was building up the countdown to vacation, which I thought was hilarious, uh, on TNT and then on NBA TV with Shaq. And they kept adding like an hour to it on the countdown. Well, he got some uh, golf in with Peyton while he was in Denver. I know he kept talking about that, oh. and I saw the, the photos. Well, uh, so coming up, he's got a, a new show with CNN and, and Gail King. And here is Barkley on TNT on set uh, describing uh, the new venture. 
You don't need to go take that news job. You can come on our show. You know more about <laughs> hockey than yeah. we do. Hey, you don't have to travel out of what, Atlanta. Apparently, with this new talk show, I'm jumping on the Titanic. <laughs> so, uh, it's, it's not. Everybody keeps saying abort, abort, abort. <laughs> so uh, no, you know what? I'm looking forward to it. Gail is awesome. Okay. Yeah, I love the. Uh, I mean, he he's he's not dumb. Oh. You know, he, he knows what uh, what's going on with uh, everything digital and uh, what CNN has not been able to do. And, of course, all the criticism that heads their way. But here's the thing. Charles Barkley can say anything he wants to. And he's going to make headlines. He's going to give his honest opinion. And that's what you want out of him. Well, that's exactly why CNN brought him on. And it's why, a lot why like people McAfee. Love him. A lot like McAfee with ESPN. It also reminded me of uh, when uh, Chris Jericho came back to WWE and came in immediately and said, I'm here to save your failing brand where the ratings yeah. are dying throughout. <laughs> this is Charles Barkley uh, stating, I'm here to save you, CNN. Abort, this is abort, why I'm here. Abort. I'm here to save you. He's putting the expectations out there right now. I'm jumping on board the Titanic, but... If anyone can save CNN, maybe it's Sir Charles. Yeah, and he's been back in February. He said that CNN was a, a blank show, crap show. And he said, "I just want to help the company because obviously it is a blank show right now. Anything I can do to help, he will. He will. I, I think he will too. I will watch the show. Uh, I, I'm curious well, enough with be, Charles Barkley on it be, to see uh, what it's like. Look, I mean." He's able to be honest with people, even if he disagrees with them, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I enjoy the way Barkley approaches uh, that manner. It doesn't have to be an argument, and it doesn't have to, speaking of, of blank shows, the clickbait crap out there, too. Uh, you don't have to stir up controversy with, with Charles. He's going to combat it head on, and he's not going to take the opinion of someone in his ear telling him what to say or what to talk about. That's what I appreciate about Charles Barkley. I will, uh, I will check it out, you and think they, we'll see if he can save the Titanic. Well, if not, he'll be one of the few uh, lifeboats. Yeah. Well, if not, I mean, he'll just go back to his highly successful NBA show. Well, he's I not mean, leaving that either. Yeah, no, I'm saying he's going to be fine. If it's a failure and it's done in six months or a year, he can say, I gave it a shot, and now I'm back to the other thing I'm very successful at. Champions. Nothing to lose for Champions Sir Charles. are the Nuggets. He's going to be spending more time in Denver because the Nuggets are about to hit the national radar even more so. Winning their first title last night, and Nikola Jokic assumes the throne of the best player in the league right now. We detail that more next. <laughs> 